than anybody who's ever walked the planet. He's known for the greatest humanitarian acts and efforts, known as a man of peace and love, and widely accepted by most world religions as a prophet, a great teacher, and a good man. Who is this man? This man is unquestionably one of the most loved, celebrated, influential people in all of human history. His influence is so profound that the sick were made well, the dead were raised, hospitals were started by some of his early followers, women began to be valued, children were now prized, communities were established in love, human dignity began to be elevated, humility became a virtue worth celebrating. This man and his message literally has changed human history. At the same time, 2,000 years after his life, he's still one of the most controversial people to ever live. His message has often been the catalyst for many of history's wars. Oftentimes, families are divided over allegiance to him. Who is this man? Why did he come to earth? Did he die on a cross? Or maybe he was taken away. What happened after he died? Did he resurrect from the dead? And what does all of this mean for you and for me today? The life of Jesus literally creates for you and I a dilemma. And over the next six weeks here at South Bay Church, we want to talk about that dilemma. And we want to get very personal about what each of us believes regarding the life and the teachings of Jesus. About a year ago, I was sitting down for lunch with somebody that I love so dearly. Uh, this friend of mine who is an agnostic, maybe a deist at best, is wrestling through his questions and his doubts about God. And we had had our casual conversation, and at the end of our time together there, my friend looks me in the eyes and he says, Andy, I'm staying awake late at night many nights, and I'm wrestling through this question about God and his character and the life of Jesus, and I don't know what I believe about him. It's almost as if this question is haunting me and I cannot let it go. And I remember looking into the eyes of this friend that I love, love, love so much. And I said to him, I hope that this question haunts you until you nail down what you believe about Jesus. Four years ago, we started a church for people who are cynics, for people who have doubts and questions about God to create a safe place that we can honestly wrestle through our questions. And today, to the best of our ability as a church, we want to craft this entire experience so that every single one of us would come face to face with the man named Jesus and his message and the incredible hope that his message offers to every single one of us. You know, Jesus had a pretty similar conversation one time with several of his early followers. And they were sitting around in this group and they were talking about what they believed Jesus had just, just done an incredible miracle, and he looks at his followers, known as his disciples, and he asks them a question. We see this in the book of Luke chapter 9, verse 18. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him, and he asked them this question. Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, the man who had just been murdered as a prophet of God. Some say Elijah, a prophet from the Old Testament of the scriptures. And still others believe that you are one of the prophets from long ago, that you've come back from life, from death to life. And all of these men are wrestling through their question about Jesus. But Jesus first asked them, who do the crowds, who do your contemporaries say that I am? You know, if we were to gather 10 religious leaders together 
and we were to ask them what they believe about Jesus, we would, we would have at least 11 opinions in the room. People disagree about this man. But unquestionably, Jesus is still loved and celebrated. In fact, Islam says that he was a prophet from God. Buddhists say that Jesus was a great man and a great teacher. Pop culture oftentimes calls Jesus a homeboy or even a superhero. Some of the greats throughout, throughout history have also commented about their belief regarding Jesus. Listen to what Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian, Indian political leader, would say. Jesus was a man who was completely innocent. He offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. This comment being made by a man who was not even a Christ follower, yet says that Jesus was a man of love that sacrificed for the good of many people. Martin Luther King Jr., the great American civil rights leader, would say, Jesus was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness. Napoleon a murderer of many, many people, the leader of the French Empire would make this statement. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires, but what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded an empire on love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. One last quote by an author unknown, maybe it's from one of you in here today, says this, Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, and Jesus only for three years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who are among the greatest philosophers in all of antiquity. Who is this man? And what is the significance of his message for us today in the 21st century? History is divided over who this man is. There are so many that love him and celebrate him and think he's incredible, but then there are some who have tried to rise against his message. John Lennon, the great in the eyes of many people, the man that was a part of the band called The Beatles, would say this. He said, Christianity will go. It will vanish, and it will shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right, and I will be proved right, he said. We are more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Thanks, John Lennon, for the quote. From a man who's now lying in a grave, no offense, Beatles fans, while the influence of Jesus continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. So who is this man? Jesus would stop in the middle of this conversation with his disciples and he would flip the question. And he would transition from this moment where the crowds, their opinions are what he was analyzing and looking at. And Jesus would then look into the eyes of his disciples and he would ask the same question that he would ask of you and I today and watch what Jesus says. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you believe me to be? 
I mean, all these other people say I'm a prophet. Some of them say I'm Elijah. Some say I'm John the Baptist. But the question today for you is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe he is? And then Peter, the, the disciple of Jesus, the follower of his, that oftentimes would stick his foot in his mouth. He, I can relate to him. He was extroverted. He spoke up before anybody else did, said some dumb things. But right now he speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. You are the long-awaited, anticipated Messiah that the Old Testament of Scripture has been talking about for hundreds, even thousands of years, prophesying about this moment when the Messiah would come to earth. That's who you are. That's who I believe you are, the Christ of or from God himself. And then Jesus will look at Peter, and the Scripture says he warned them strictly, don't tell anybody about this, and don't mention it, because there were at least... 18 other men that had risen and called themselves messiahs in the day and age of Jesus, and the plight for every single one of them was the exact same. It was capital punishment from the Roman Empire. Jesus says, don't tell anyone yet, my time has not come, and then he would make this statement. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day, He'll be raised to life. But what about you? Who do you say he is, is the question. See, Jesus was murdered, unquestionably, historically, nailed to a Roman cross. But Jesus wasn't nailed to a Roman cross for things like peace and love and be kind to one another. Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross because he would make statements like this. Because he would say, I am the Messiah. I'm the one from God. He also said things like this. When someone had sinned, he would forgive their sins. And all of the religious leaders of the day and age, they would be so frustrated and hacked off at Jesus. And they'd say, who can forgive sins but God alone? This man is, he's not God. He's just another teacher. Jesus, at the end of his life, before he'd be placed into a grave, would stand on trial before Pontius Pilate, the great Roman leader, and he would be put to testify, who are you? Tell us. Because so much of his life leading up, he'd kept silent about his identity, but this moment, he's being placed on trial, and he says, tell us, who are you? Are you the king? Are you the Messiah? Are you God in human flesh? And Jesus would look at Pilate, and he would say, my kingdom is not of this world. And so here is this man that shows up with all of this political unrest. The Roman Empire is oppressing the Israelites. They're trying to keep them quiet. They don't want any unrest to come undone. And then the Roman Empire, the, the man in, in charge named Pontius Pilate, doesn't want Caesar to be frustrated with him because he can't keep the Israelites under control. And then all of the Israelites, the religious leaders, are frustrated with Jesus because they want a political leader. They want someone that will help them revolt against the Romans. And they think that the Messiah is going to be this great war hero that's going to provide freedom physically. Yet Jesus comes, heals the lame, brings people back from death to life, proclaims love, and says, I'm the Messiah, but talks nothing of freeing them from the Romans. And so this group of Israelites... Religious leaders, in fact, one of Jesus' followers named Judas, would turn their back, turn his back on Jesus, 
And in the middle of the night, they would put Jesus on trial. Not a fair, normal trial. A trial in the dark. And they would ask him to give an account for his life. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 63, we pick up the story. It says, the high priest, the great religious leader, would say to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And listen very clearly to what Jesus says. Yes, it is exactly as I say. But I say to you, in the future, after you've crucified me, after you've nailed me to a Roman cross, the Son of Man, you will see him sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. I will return. And next time when I return, I will return in all the fullness of my power and glory, and you will not be able to stop me. And he says this, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, this man has spoken blasphemy. See, what I'm trying to do is I want us to see that this is a dilemma. It's not just that this is some great teacher of peace and love and kindness and mercy, which he is all of those things, but the dilemma surrounding the life of Jesus, the reason he was crucified was because he said he was God in human flesh. But the, the increasingly controversial nature of this man's life is not just his crucifixion. It's what would happen over the next few days after he would be nailed to a cross and placed in a grave. All of his followers, Judas would hang himself because he had betrayed Jesus. The rest of his followers, minus one, would abandon Jesus when he would go to a Roman cross. They would cower in fear. And then a few days later, something that would happen that would literally change the course of human history and would change everything for these 11 men that remained. They would go from cowards to become bold men who were sharing the message of Jesus with people all the way to the point of their death. Something happened, and so the question looms, who do you believe this man to be? Who is he? Did something happen such as what the Bible says happened? In fact, in Luke chapter 24, the scripture says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took out the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the tombstone rolled away, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. And because his disciples found an empty tomb, it changed everything for them so much that they would become these bold proponents of a resurrected, alive Jesus that the grave could not hold. And so all of us, no matter where we are in our journey, I know that many of you, you're skeptics. You don't even believe what the Bible says, and that's okay. My goal is not to convince you of the Bible today, although I do believe it to be true. That's not my goal. My goal is that you would wrestle through with this question. You know, I remember so clearly, some of you may remember this moment, September 11, 2001, what you were doing on that day. I remember sitting in my sophomore year, I was sitting inside my philosophy of religion class. And my professor had taught that day about evil. And one of my very good friends, his girlfriend, ran into the classroom at the end. She shouted out, there's a plane that has run into one of the Twin Towers. Turn on the TVs. So the professor flips on the TVs in the classroom. And we could see the, the tower burning with the side of the plane sticking out of this incredible huge tower. 
And you know what happened from that moment forward? Many of us who were around at that time, I think most of us probably were, we remember that moment and we were glued to our TVs almost for days. And our lives were changed. That moment divided history for many of us. And we started marking life pre-September 11th and post-September 11th. And now when we go to the airport, we have to go through these long security lines and we're kind of you know, looking out for that person that might be the terrorist and we got our eyes in the airplane like looking for the exit and we're going to be the one to save the day if something happens again. It changed our history. But for my sons, Cademan and Sammy, who are six and four years old, this will be a historical event. And no offense, but over the course of time, this event will diminish in its influence. It will continue to go down, just like JFK's death is for me. My grandmother said she remembers vividly and she marked her life pre-JFK's death and post-JFK's death. But for me, I saw in a history book, in history class in high school, it was a historical moment, but its significance for my life was not that great. What if, just what if, there was one moment that divided all of human history so much that it continued to grow in its impact and influence so much that 2,000 years after it happened, it's still being talked about. See, I remember very clearly the moment when I became convinced that this man, Jesus, had come, that he was God in human flesh and he had lived among us. And I was wrestling through questions, and one of the illustrations I heard is that there are only three options for who this man could be. Either he is a lunatic and he's crazy, and he thinks he's God, just like some of the people on the BART in San Francisco that call themselves Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. You're not Jesus, bro. You're drunk, okay? Maybe he was a lunatic, and he was so crazy that he was convinced that he was God and he convinced these hundreds of people and then after his death somehow his disciples they had found some like really good Jerusalem hash that they were smoking and they were all crazy together and they just continued to convince until the hash went away and everybody was already convinced that's one option another option is that he was lying and he really wasn't God he was just trying to convince everybody he was the Messiah. But what I find kind of troubling about this question and this reality is Jesus could not be a lunatic and a liar and all of these things and at the same time be good because so much of history promotes him as a man of peace and love, people who don't even follow him. But if he is a man of peace and love and he's, he's lying to us, there's something wrong. It doesn't add up. He can't be both. He's either God and good or he's a liar and crazy. So the question, I wrestled through this and I remember in my own journey coming to grips with what had happened with so many of his early followers in the transition from them being cowards to now becoming bold proponents of the faith. And I remember the day so vividly when I was sitting in a room much like this and there was a man who was standing up front saying this message of Jesus, this message of his life, his death, and his burial resurrection, it's all for you. 
It's all an invitation for you to begin relationship with God. And I remember so vividly in that moment sitting there wrestling through my brokenness, wrestling through my own sin, knowing that I was in great need of God. And in a moment, just offering my life to God, saying to him, God, I need you. I choose to follow you. And somehow in the middle of all this, becoming convinced not just intellectually, but becoming convinced in my heart, becoming convinced in my heart that this man named Jesus and his message was true. And so today, all across this room, different places in the journey, some of you cynic, some of you, you're kind of on that fence, you're trying to believe, others of you, maybe this is a chance to renew your faith. No matter where you are in your journey, my hope today is that each of us would wrestle through and that we would have to come face to face with the reality of what we believe to be the truth about this man named Jesus and his message. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. I am found. I am yours. I am loved. I'm made pure. I have life, I can breathe, I am healed, I am free. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Cause I am found. I am yours. I am loved. I'm made pure. I have life. I am free. I am healed. I am free. Cause you are strong. Breaking through 
I still have a lot of questions, but I'm ready to face the answers. I'm still not really certain, but there must be more to life than this. And I don't want to be half living any longer. I may not fully get who Jesus is, but if he is God, really did die, pay for my sins, and rose to life, then I don't want to miss out on this. It may not all make sense. But maybe that's okay for right now. Because if he is the God he says he is, then I want some of that love somehow. So here's my heart, Lord. I'm tired of just living. I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of wandering, wondering what my purpose is. I'm tired of drowning in my bitterness. And my back is sore from carrying all of my brokenness. So who are you, Jesus? Who is this man? Were you mad? Were you insane? Or if I take the time to know you, can my life really be changed? Can I really be healed of a life I thought was just stuck this way? Sometimes I think I see you when a sunset takes my breath away. Sometimes I think I feel you when I feel the strength of the wind and the softness of the rain. Sometimes I think you're right next to me when I somehow find the strength to begin my days. Sometimes I think I'm looking right at you and right now I feel that same way. Staring at you, moved by you, my eyes can't break this gaze. So here's my heart, Lord. I'm tired of not knowing you when it seems like you're what my life needs. I'm tired of wondering about you when I know I feel you so close to me. So who are you, Jesus? Now, this is between you and me. Maybe that's where you are today, honestly assessing what is it that you believe about this man. You know, when Jesus was nailed on a cross and he breathed his last breath, there were three words that he uttered from his mouth. He said, it is finished. God in human flesh, nailed to a Roman tree, breathed his last breath, placed into a grave, crucified for you and for me. And so today, maybe you're carrying the shame of brokenness in your past. Maybe there's grief that is overwhelming you. Maybe there's jealousy and bitterness in your heart and you're thinking, how could a God like this ever love me? See, the beauty of the message of Jesus is that God would nail all of the sins of the world to a tree and when he would be brutally murdered, God in our place, it would be an opportunity for you and I today in the 21st century to have relationship with God. And the scripture would say to us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, the wages of our sin is death. That the consequences for the, the jealousy and the bitterness and the anger and the selfishness in me and you, in our hearts, is separation from God. That because of all we've done, we should be separated from God for all of eternity. But the gift of God is life. And it's not just life, it's eternal life. It's life that begins in this moment and can continue for all of eternity in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is making this invitation to you today. 
that this moment cannot just be another Easter. This moment could become not just the message that divides human history, but the message can begin to divide your life. And before, when you lived with shame and brokenness, and now where you receive forgiveness and love and mercy. It's really simple. Jesus would say, to all who believe, I give the right to become children of God. And he says, whoever would place their faith in me, my death, my burial and resurrection and what I've done and literally give me the keys to their life. They can choose in that moment to follow me and salvation will enter into their lives. And so today, God is saying to you, will you give me the keys? Will you open up your heart? Some of you, you hear and you feel that still small voice in your heart drawing you. And God has crafted this moment for you so that you can know, my friend, you are loved. You are so precious to the God of the universe and he longs for you to experience relationship with him. So the question is, will you open up your heart and let him in by faith? And as you place your faith in him, relationship with God can begin from this moment forward. And here's the line, and many of you, you're wrestling through this decision. There is no decision that you will ever make that will have greater levels of significance to begin a relationship with your maker, to experience his love and his joy and peace. So why don't you just take that leap of faith today and trust in him. If that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity in just a moment to say, God, I'm yours. I'm choosing you to give you all of me today. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a second. Some of you today, you're wrestling through, that's the decision you need to make. It's very simple. It begins with acknowledging your need for God. That this message of Jesus' death is a death for your sin and for my sin. It's not religion, it's not good deeds, it's not hard work that makes us right before God. Jesus literally paid the price so that you and I don't have to. And now by faith in what he's done, salvation begins. But we have to acknowledge our need for him. We have to admit our sin before him. And the second thing is for us to believe in what he's done, to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, to place our trust in him is the God of the universe, and then to confess to him today, God, I choose to follow you. If that's you today, you might say a prayer that goes something like this in your heart. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did when you were nailed there on a Roman tree. I acknowledge my sin before you. I believe today that you were crucified and resurrected. And I confess before you in this moment that it is my desire to follow you. Scripture says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And in this moment, as you confess before God, relationship between you and God begins. Just confess it to him all across the room. No matter where you are today, relationship with you and God can begin as you trust in him and confess your need for him today. Others of you, you're wrestling. And maybe you're not ready to believe today. But my challenge for you is that you would go on a hunt, you would go on a pursuit that you would become so committed 
to determining what it is that you believe about this man and his message and not give up until you nail it down. Research every religion, study the books, talk to people, but nail down what you believe about this man and his message because my belief is that his truth can literally change everything for us. God, thank you today. Thank you for an empty tomb. Thank you that you loved us enough to come to planet Earth and thank you for conquering the grave. We believe that you are alive today. We trust in you. We hope in you. We recognize that you are our hope for forgiveness. You are our hope for a clean slate. And so God, we pray that this message would just ring true in our hearts, that there would be great rejoicing in us knowing that we are loved by you. Here's our heart, Lord. Take us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing the rest of this song.